Cat Disgusted is a show about veterinary nursing. It is not a show about how to cure your sick pet. If your animal is sick, take it to the vet. Don't be a crazy person and use a podcast to cure your puking cat, dog, chinchilla, etc., etc. I think they would tell you the same thing. If they could. Which they can't. Which makes it hard. You know what's up. Take them to the vet. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for the best of times and the worst of times in veterinary nursing. What the hell are we doing? Well, it's Chihuahua snapping feral cats flailing all while working with the baddest bitches in the business. I'm your host, Nicole Dickerson, RBT, and this... It's how our week went. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another fulfilling episode of Cat Disgusted. Uh, I posted on the Facebook page that I was going to do another um, segment on stupid breeds this week. Uh, but as I was looking through our our catalog of episodes, a catalog, by the way, uh, that's kind of exciting. This is uh, this is the tenth episode of Cat Disgusted. I was looking back and saw that we had recent. I'd recently done something on a stupid breed on the bulldogs, and uh, I thought maybe I could do a breed of of something else, uh, which would be a breed of virus. And so something that we run into in our veterinary careers fairly often is zoonotic diseases. And those are diseases that can be transmitted from animals to humans, uh, which means veterinary technicians are oh so acutely aware of those types of risks. And so I thought what I could do is talk a little bit about um, zoonotic diseases. And I started thinking about one in particular, and I just went off. And so, I, unfortunately, for those of you who have sensitive stomachs, oh man, you're having a bad week. You're having a bad month because the last one was not good for people with sensitive stomachs. But then, why are you listening to this show? So, um, I decided I was going to talk about the most diabolical virus in human history, which would be the rabies virus. Shut up and listen. Maybe it's a way out. Maybe it's the Fratellis. Maybe Trump found the police. Maybe it's another one of Louis' booby traps. Bran, God put that rock there for a purpose, and um, I'm not so sure you should um, move it. Hello? So that may have been uh, a lot of people's first time introduction into the reservoir of rabies, which is bats. Uh, that was a scene from the movie Goonies. Uh, and that was Martha Plimpton, who's who's yelling at the end. She's going, rabies, rabies, rabies. What they do is they move this rock um, and all these bats fly out of this cave. And they're like, you know, in the movie, it's all these rubber bats on threads that are kind of going around Josh Brolin and Martha Plimpton's head. And she's shouting, rabies, rabies, rabies. So um, it's actually a fairly scientific introduction as to where um, 
where rabies is now in California is mostly in bats. Uh, so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about this virus, which I love. I think that rabies is fascinating. Um, I think, Well, I think viruses in general are fascinating, but this one in particular um, I find fascinating. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about the history of it. What does it do? What do you do if you get it? Which is not much, unfortunately. Um, and how do we prevent it from uh, being a, a problem in the, in the first world? Uh, still a problem in the third world. So rabies is a rhabdovirus. Uh, there's another type of virus that lives in bats called a Lyssa virus. And that's another type of rhabdovirus. But really, those are the only two that, uh, that, we concern, that humans concern themselves with. Um, Rabies is Latin for madness. And then when you say rhabdovirus, that word uh, rabhas uh, is, is a Sanskrit word. And it actually means to do violence. So you already know that this disease is, is bad business. Um, all warm-blooded animals can get rabies. Uh, it's, it's really not common in rodents. And it's not common for rodents to communicate it to anybody. Most of the time, because in order for that virus to be passed along from animal to animal, the animal has to survive to bite something else. And a lot of the times if rodents are getting bitten and torn into, they ain't going to live long enough to, to bite someone else. Um, what this virus does, so it what it does is it hides in your nerve cells. So it means your body can't recognize it right away because it's hiding inside your neurons. And what it does is it crawls up your neurons into your brain and into your salivary glands. And that's how you transmit the virus to, uh, to other hosts is through saliva. So the bite will happen uh, like, you know, say the, the bites usually happen on people. They're usually happening on your hands because you're kind of handling an animal. Uh, you know, in, in our profession, we're inevitably restraining something for some kind of procedure. And so our hands are being used and the, the bitey parts go onto our hands and bite us there. Um, uh, children tend to get bit on the hands or on the face. Uh which means that the saliva is going to go into this wound and it's going to go into your bloodstream or the saliva is going to go in your eyes or in your mouth or in your nose, like some other kind of mucous membrane. And that's how the virus is going to enter your system. So because this virus is hiding in your neurons, your body's not recognizing it right away. So it's not real good at creating antibodies in any kind of speedy time frame because it doesn't even know it's there. Uh, the onset of these symptoms are from a week to a year. And the reason why that is, is because it takes time uh, for that virus to crawl its way up your neurons into your brain. And once it gets to your brain is when you're actually going to be, uh, you're going to be symptomatic. And by the time that you're symptomatic, badness, total badness, train derails. If you're symptomatic for rabies, it is like... 98 to 99% fatal. And we'll talk about that other little 1% to 2% of the non-fatal um, a, a little bit later on. So globally, it's dogs that are that are carrying this virus around. Um, and that's why, it, and dogs live with people. And so therefore, the dogs bite the people and the people get the rabies. Um, cats, skunks, raccoons, wild animals of any kind, those are the ones that are going to have rabies. And like I mentioned earlier, and like Martha Plimpton was mentioning earlier with her fearful screams. Bats are a major reservoir of, uh, of rabies. So what does this virus do? So you can't diagnose rabies uh, without the appearance of symptoms. So 
if you're walking, like if you get bit by a rabid dog or a rabid bat and you got this wound on your finger, um, you, you don't know if you have it or not because you can't diagnose it before the symptoms appear. Um, it takes time for those little virus bits to work their way all the way up your neurons into your brain. So it's actually this kind of weird physical thing where the further the bite is from your brain, the longer it's going to take for the onset to come on because it takes time to crawl up the ladder of neurons. So if you have it on your finger, a little bit longer of an incubation period, like maybe like a month or so. Uh, could be longer. Uh, if you have a rabies bite on your face or if you get like rabid saliva in your eye, that onset's going to be a lot faster because that's like basically like just an injection into your brain of, of rabies virus. So the symptoms that you'll have, so you get bit by this rabid thing, the symptoms that you'll have will start kind of flu-like. Um, you get a fever. You're, you may have a headache. Uh, this may go on for a couple days and it's slowly going to progress to more serious things uh, like neurological signs of confusion, agitation. Um, you can get tremors. You can hallucinate. Um, event, it, inevitably what happens is you'll get an encephalitis. And what that means is your brain is going to start to be inflamed uh, the pressure in your head may increase because of all the inflammation in your brain. Uh, and that's what starts to cause all kinds of crazy problems. Um, one of the crazier things about rabies and one of the crazier symptoms that it causes is hydrophobia. And hydrophobia literally means fear of water. Now, hydrophobia was the old-timey name for rabies. Before we called it rabies, we called it hydrophobia. Um, this, is, this is really weird. It's a late-onset symptom. Um, it happens in, in all the animals that can get it. So, you'll, you know, you can see it in dogs. You can see it in people. Um Late in the disease process, you're going to have difficulty swallowing. But at the same time, uh, there's this insatiable thirst. So like you've got this crazy need to drink things. Um, but when you get close to water or when you're presented with any kind of liquid to drink, you have this crazy adverse reaction to it. Like, I mean, people are like slapping water out of nurses' hands. Like, you know, dogs will like freak out and run away from rivers. There was this old timey dude in England who was like a, um, he was some kind of like royal, maybe not like a duke, but like some kind of dignitary. And he was bit by a rabid dog and he was supposed to go on this boating trip. And he was like, oh no, I kind of got a headache and I don't feel real super right now uh. and then he like got closer to the date of departing for this boating trip and he got like he looked at the water and was all, oh no oh god and he had this like crazy like fearful reaction about going on that boating trip just by looking at the water and just by thinking about being around the water which I thought was so crazy um so if you think about it uh this makes sense. Like this makes sense in this virus, in this virus's world to have this hydrophobia. So when your um, salivary glands are the, are the harbor of where this rabies virus is and you can't swallow, uh, what that means is you're going to be drooling like the Dickens, right? Because you can't swallow all of your secretions. So you're drooling, 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 um, like, and that's where all this virus is. So you're basically drooling virus all the time. And so it's much more likely that that virus is going to get passed on to something else because it's just freaking running out of your mouth all the time. So you're going to die in about seven to 10 days. Um, so will your dog. Uh, that's why animal control has a 10-day 
quarantine, uh, a 10-day quarantine on um, on animals that they suspect may have been exposed to rabies. Um, it, it depends on what is eventually going to kill you when it comes to rabies. I mean, like by the time that people are dying of that disease. I mean, they're not really conscious anymore. They're flailing around. Their brain is all swollen and funky in their skull, which affects your ability to do both your voluntary and involuntary movements. So respiratory arrest is kind of inevitable because your brain is going to be squished and it's going to, it's going to kill all of your ability to do any kind of autonomic activities in your body. Uh, so the quarantine, uh, the 10 day quarantine that, um, that animals have to have. So it depends on the state that you're in, whether that quarantine can happen in your house or whether it's going to happen in a facility. There's no such quarantine for humans, uh, but they do still use that like seven to 10 days is usually what's, that's usually about the amount of time. Once the clinical symptoms appear for rabies, that's usually about the amount of time that's going to take to kill you. Um, my brother lives in Texas and he has this insane cat that is totally it's 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 an odd animal it's weird most of the time it's nice it has moments where it's not nice um if bailey runs outside which is where he's not supposed to be he's indoor only and you try to catch him he will whip around and bite the shit out of you so that's exactly what happened to my brother um bailey ran out the door ben went to grab him bailey whipped around and bit him in the hand now he's an indoor only cat who's been vaccinated for rabies, but rabies is endemic in Texas. And so because of that, and what that means is, is like it, it's there, like it happens, like the population of skunks, of cats that are all outdoors, you know, they, those wild animals, it, rabies is like happening in those populations. And so he wasn't able to keep Bailey at home. They had an animal control officer show, because Ben went to the hospital because he was bleeding, had to get antibiotics, it was a whole thing. Uh, but an animal control officer showed up at their house because the hospital had to contact them because it was a cat bite. And they, they said that Bailey had to be quarantined, um, in a facility. So he actually had to go to a veterinary hospital and be quarantined for those 10 days, uh, in a hospital. He couldn't stay in the house because it was too much of a risk. The, oh, what we were talking about earlier, how the, the drooling and all that, like transmits the virus. So this is like another kind of amazing thing about it. Uh, the virus modifies, it's called a modifying behavior of the host. And you see this in parasitic organisms too, um, that it actually, because you're drooling like that, that like means the virus is there, but then you have to do something to get that virus into the next host, right? So what this virus does is it causes confusion and rage. And because of that confusion and the, and the fear, um, animals are more likely to attack things that they don't normally attack. They're more likely to bite humans that they don't normally attack because they're not sure who those, you know, even if you are their human, they're not sure who you are. So that's kind of amazing to me too, that this like, it, it's going to like create a situation in which the virus is easily transmitted from host to host. Like it modifies who you are and like mentally what you're going to think is the right thing to do in order for it to get passed on to the next host. So now we've talked about, um, how you get rabies, how you acquire the virus. Um, so now let's talk about how you know you have it. So diagnosing rabies is hella hard. Uh, and the reason why that is, is because the symptoms can be kind of 
they can be kind of tricky. I mean, like you've got fever, you've got aches and pains, you've got tremors, you've got these neurological onset things. So a lot of times what will happen is, is it's going to be a combination of your um, of your medical history that will that will make you a likely a likely suspect for rabies. Like, you know, that if you like say you like walk into a hospital, oh, I'm fe- I'm feverish and I'm achy. And uh, and then, the you know, I, and I've got these tremors that have started up and I'm afraid of water everywhere um the doctor is going to start asking you things like have you had any exposure to wild animals recently have you experienced any bites recently and like a lot of times that type of history is what's going to lead them to think that you have rabies um you can diagnose it with um cerebral spinal fluid and sometimes in the saliva sometimes in the urine but that's actually that's harder there's like lower concentrations of the virus unless you're like really 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 dying uh, but they'll do a spinal tap and they'll, they'll look for antibodies to the rabies virus in that spinal fluid. Um, a sure way to diagnose rabies is with um, a dissection of brain tissue. And this is always done post-mortem because you have to like cut into the brain to look at it. But there's these things that are called negri bodies. And um, what they are is they're these little rod-like inclusion bodies that are in your nerve cells and they're just like these little round it almost looks like you know like a lot like you know as as veterinary technicians you do a lot of um looking at urine and uh when you look at urine it has an infection with a with a rod bacteria you see all these little little black rods everywhere it kind of looks like that they're like a little bit more light gray and they're inside the nerve cells but when you see those um inclusion bodies that's when you know that it's rabies. And it, if you see those, it is 100% rabies, but it doesn't, it's, it, there was a kind of a weird statistic that I read. It's like, if you see them, then you know for sure that it was rabies that killed that, that organism, but you only see them in about 80% of cases. You don't always see them, but when you do, rabies is the culprit. With animals in a hospital, so how, you know, luckily in my profession, I don't have many rabies stories, Uh, but I feel like the most common thing that we will encounter is if we have a wild animal or we have an animal that doesn't, is not owned, that's brought in by either a good Samaritan or by an animal control officer or a police officer. Um, and if that animal is showing neurological symptoms, like, you know, if it's kind of tremory, if it's kind of chattering, if it's seizing, all those type of things, sometimes they're just laterally recumbent and just dying. And even that is, even, even it's so funny. It's like either neurological signs or lack of any signs at all. Both of them are problems. That type of an animal uh, is gonna is is potentially a rabies suspect because we have no history of it. We don't know why it's dying. Um, if it's got neurological signs and it's dying, that's a that's a really like kind of high on the list candidate for rabies. So we have to notify animal control, um, and the sure way to know if that animal has rabies or not is by cutting off its head and examining its brain for those negri inclusion bodies. So if we have an animal like that come into the hospital. Um, more than likely, if it's not dead already, we're going to euthanize it. And everyone all of a sudden has to be on high alert, like wear gloves, like, you know, like, let's not get anybody damaged or scratched or bit or anything. Um, we'll wear masks sometimes because we don't want to get ourselves into, into any kind of exposure of whatever God knows. And, and not just rabies, but God knows whatever else this animal may have infections or things. Um, and we have to save the animal in the fridge 
because if he goes in the freezer, then uh, it's brain tissue. All those all those cells they they rupture with all the ice crystals inside of them, and then it, they can't look and see if those inclusion bodies are there. So you save the animal in the fridge. You or and then sometimes the animal control will do this, but sometimes we're the lucky ones who get to do this. We'll cut the head off and then send it in. Uh, for for uh, rabies analysis, which is essentially looking for those little inclusion bodies in the cells. If an animal bites someone, doesn't matter if that animal is owned or not owned. If an animal bites somebody, rabies is the number one thing that we're worried about. I mean, obviously the injury that you have, like, I mean, obviously stitches, bleeding, you know, all that's bad. But as far as zoonotic diseases, if you're bit by something, rabies is number one. Uh, And so you have to find vaccination records if that happens. You have to verify the animal was vaccinated either with the owner, with documents, or via the hospital that did the vaccinations. If that animal is euthanized, don't put it in the freezer because animal control might chase after you and be like, oh, hey, we got this paper. If you're bit, you have to send paperwork to animal control. And then they're going to be like, hey, where's this dog? And you're like, oh, it's in the freezer. And they'll be like, ooh, that really sucks. Because basically what you just did is you took away any kind of, you know, we now can't say whether or not that dog had rabies. And so therefore, whoever it bit may have to get treaties, but treated, <laughs> treaties, <laughs> treaties for the rabies might have to get treated um, for rabies, like the rabies preventative protocol, which we'll also talk about. So Always if something bites someone and then is euthanized, default to the fridge. That's that's the veterinary technician mantra about that. Um, so speaking of treatment, uh, treatment for your pet, oh, there's not. There's just not. Um, euthanasia. That's it. Uh, there is currently no way to treat rabies in animals. Um, they, they're done. Uh, treatment for humans. Now, meh, you're almost done. You're almost done. It used to be just like the dog. You're done. Like rabies will kill you. But remember how I said it's like 98 to 99% fatal? Well, that 1 to 2% survival rate, that is hella recent. Like that has really only just happened within um, my lifetime. So there was a girl whose name is uh, Gina Gisi. Uh, she was bit by a rabid bat when she was 15 years old in Wisconsin. Um, this bat was flapping around the inside of a church <laughs> in the daytime. And uh, the story goes is like, you know, everybody's kind of like, flapping at this bat with their hats and trying to like ferry it outside and and um she being this like you know farm living animal girl uh she went to go the bat fell on the floor like near that near the back door and she went to go pick it up to like kind of toss it outside and when she picked up this bat it bit her on the finger and like she talks about like letting the bat go and like it was attached to her finger like dangling off her finger and she's like oh that's really painful uh but then it let go and so it was about a week. Oh, no, it wasn't a week. It was longer. It was about a month later. Uh, she started developing fever. Uh, her hand was twitching. Um, the site of the bite was kind of red and tingly. That's another thing that can happen is the bite site can get a little weird. Um, she went to the hospital and she was having, you know, a twitching, fever, achy, confused. And um, she told that her mom like was telling the doctor what was going on and happened to mention that she was bit by a bat a while ago. 
And the doctor's face like went white. He was like, how long ago was she bit by this bat? And then um, he had to call the CDC and they immediately put like infectious protocols into place and they had to vaccinate all the nurses who were all like dealing with her crazy, crazy thing. Um, This doctor developed something that's called the Milwaukee Protocol. And it's because um, Gina Gisi was flown to a major hospital in Milwaukee where this was where this where this treatment happened. Um, What they did is they put her body into a medically induced coma for a month to allow her body, her own body to develop antibodies against uh, the rabies virus. And they did do a spinal tap and they did find it in her CSF fluid. So that's how they knew that it was rabies for sure. Um, They kept her under this coma so that her body had time to catch up. Um, It's a virus. There's no treatment for the virus. You know, you can only treat the symptoms of the virus, but in rabies's case, it's all freaking neurological. So there's not really much you can do except put the fire out a little bit, like put the fire out in her brain a little bit. And so that's what they did. Um, after this month of medically induced coma, um, they kept testing her cerebral spinal fluid to see if there were antibodies to the rabies virus in there. And there were, and the antibodies were increasing. And I'm not exactly sure when they decided or how they decided they were going to wake her up. Probably because, you know, she's going to die. She's probably, her organs are probably starting to shut down. Um, which is what happens when you're under like in a medically induced coma for an extended period of time. I'm sure they were like on the borderline of like having it not be a great idea to keep her under and probably I would say a percentage of antibodies that they thought would be all right. So they woke her up um, and she was able to hear and see. Uh, She was not able to talk. Um, She did not leave this situation without damage. So she did live. She lived. She was the first human ever to survive rabies. But even though that's the case, she was not without a huge uphill battle to this day, a huge uphill battle, um, to recovery. Now this was in, uh, this was in 2004, uh, was when she was bitten by this bat and went through this whole, whole ordeal. And she's, so she was 15 then she's 26 now. Um, she had to relearn all of her fine motor skills, like walking, talking. Um, she was kind of like a, like a head trauma patient where like her, her emotions were very like upfront and personal. Like she kind of had, she had a short attention span. She would get, um, she'd get frustrated very easily. She'd have like very kind of like visceral, like emotional responses, like kind of like your like a, like a, like a two or three year old would have, um, to situations, uh, which has been getting better, like been progressively better throughout the, you know, she can walk now, uh, and she can, and she can talk now. She like has like a rabies awareness Facebook page and everything, but you know, she, she did not come out of that situation unscathed. Um, one thing, uh, there's a documentary that you can watch on YouTube that's called the girl who survived rabies and it's all about her. And I thought one of the more like, kind of like, sad but also I mean it's weird it's like a happy sad thing uh was her dad says that her voicemail on her cell phone for a long time um was the the, when she recorded the voicemail of like hi this is Gina thanks for calling leave a message you know that that little bit of her voice that was before um she was infected with rabies so that was like the Gina like the pre-rabies Gina and that he would call that and he would listen to her voice you know, the, the, 
the before rabies Gina and that he would mourn the loss of that person. But at the same time, he he didn't lose her. You know, he he has he still has his daughter. It's just that she's she's not the same. Um, there have maybe been like one or two other people. I know of at least one other one that was in California, this like four-year-old girl who survives rabies. She was in a Monsters Inside Me episode um, from this protocol, this Milwaukee protocol of putting uh, putting rabies victims into medically induced comas. But it remains controversial because essentially what you're doing is you're you're killing the person anyway. You know, that that's the that's the the argument against it is like by doing this medically induced coma, you risk that they're going to die anyway. Uh, there was a man in Thailand who they tried this with, who was bit by a puppy that he adopted, who ended up um, giving him rabies. Uh, don't adopt puppies off the streets in Thailand, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and he, they did the Milwaukee protocol, but he died anyway. So essentially they put him into a coma and the he the coma killed him the rabies killed him it was all bad so still controversial but um very much something that is talked about when you talk about treatment for rabies um what you can do is you can get vaccinated for rabies uh louis pasteur who is one of my heroes god i gotta do an episode on him it's going to be just as long as this i tell you um he invented the rabies vaccine that you can give to dogs you can give to cats you can give to people Uh, and so uh i've been vaccinated for rabies i did that when i was doing some volunteer work at um uh actually well I did it when I was starting to get paid for being a technician at a shelter um and it was just because I didn't want to deal with getting the rabies immunoglobulin and when you get rabies exposure as a person you're going to get vaccinated for rabies um even if you've been vaccinated before, you're going to get vaccinated again. Uh, if you haven't been vaccinated before, they're going to vaccinate you and they're going to give you this human immunoglobulin, which is the rabies antibodies. You're going to get that intravenously in addition to your vaccine. And I just didn't want to do that. Uh, but you know, the vaccine doesn't protect you 100%. You still have to get boosters, even if you are vaccinated. But with that type of treatment, you won't get it. Like with that type, if you get bit and you do that right away, like within the first, I think it's like five or six days, you won't die. Um, If you don't do that and you develop symptoms, you will die. So uh, prevention is the best thing. Vaccinate all your pets. um, Vaccinate yourself if you're going to be handling wild animals or even any kind of animal profession. Like, I mean, I'm I'm not into wild animal rescue um, at the moment. I think it's really cool. Um, But, you know, if I was, oh, I would be getting getting my rabies antibodies titers done. I would be up on it uh, because it's serious. When I was vaccinated for rabies, I went to the San Francisco um, Public Health Building and uh, would get, I got a series of three. I think it was like, I got one, a month later I got another, and then three months later I got another. I'm not exactly sure. Refer to the CDC website about rabies vaccination, people. Um, but the, it depends on how, what they can do is they draw your blood and they test your antibodies to see if you still have, um, a good immunity once you've been vaccinated for rabies. And like, you know, it depends on how how often your exposure is really going to be as to how often those titers have to get done. Like in my profession, I think it's like every two years for veterinary technicians working with small animal medicine. Um, If you're working with, oh, say dead bats, like the San Francisco Health Department is, because they do like surveys of rabies in the populations of pigeons and bats, on the top floor of the San Francisco Health Building, by the way, (laughs) in in the Civic Center, Civic Center area, those guys who are in the hazmat suits dissecting the dead bats, they have to get their titers done like every two months or maybe every six months. 
could be every six months um, because they're like directly handling potential rabies all the time. Um, there was, uh, there, there is one story that is kind of legendary in our Bay Area veterinary community, which is about a kitten that was in a pet hospital that uh, was a found kitten. It came with a, a litter. Uh, this was the sick one. It was kind of small, kind of runty. Um, it had neurological signs. It kind of bobbed its head. It had a little bit of tremors and it died while it was in the hospital, but it was very, very cute. And so lots and lots of nurses were holding this kitten, petting the kitten. Oh, poor sick kitten. Well, because it was a wild kitten, you know, like a found feral kitten, Animal Control wanted to send the head in for rabies analysis because it died of neurological symptoms. And guess what? That kitten had freaking rabies rabies and it was in the pet hospital being snuggled by the staff for a week (laughs) so all the people who worked at that hospital all had to get rabies vaccinations and probably i bet a lot of them who had direct contact with that kitten had to receive that um human rabies immunoglobulin too super fun Uh, but nobody died nobody died of rabies even though everybody was rubbing the rabies kitten all over their face so hooray for louis pasteur Um, this virus has been around forever. The first reported, um, well reported, I say reported, but it's like reporting at this point is like, you know, chipping, chipping, you know, hieroglyphs into stone. Uh, the first record of, um, rabies is from the mess is from Mesopotamia. Yeah. I think the date is something crazy, like 1930 BC. So like around 2000 BC, um, there's a, a record of a dog biting a human and then the human going crazy and dying. Um, there was all kinds of crazy treatment for rabies throughout history before Mr. Pasteur came along. Um, they used to like have one that was like ash that was ground into the dog bite wound with the skin of like rubbed with the skin of a hyena or something like that. That was like something that was all like Wikipedia. Um, I know that one thing that, um, I've heard of before is they would grind up the skull of a hanged man and that would be um, given as treatment for rabies, either by ingestion or like rubbing it into the wound. They used to cut the membrane underneath your tongue, uh, which is that little thing. Like if you, if you put your tongue on the roof of your mouth, you see that little like membrane in the middle. It's called a lingual frenulum. Um, they used to cut that because they thought that that was where rabies originated. And of course, people did figure out that dogs were the reason that um, people were getting rabies. So there were these massive dog kills that were going on, both in Europe and um, even today. Like, I mean, even when, um, even when, uh, if third world countries are, are having rabies problems, I mean, rather than like vaccinate the dog population, cause it's not often something that people have access to, they'll just run around and kill off all the dogs, which is super sad. Um, mainly we're talking about Africa and Southeast Asia being where rabies is today. Um, it can be a huge problem on islands uh, because, you know, it's like it's a very concentrated population of animals that can have this disease. And, and because they're all within close proximity of each other, they're going to give it to each other really quickly. Um, the island of Bali is hella sad right now because they have a lot of rabid dogs on that island. There's a program that is very nobly capturing feral dogs and vaccinating them and releasing them back into the population. 
Um, but it all happened because like one rabid dog like got off of a boat with this sailor and infected another dog, which infected another, another dog, another dog, another dog, a cat, a dog, a cat, a dog, and then humans. So it can spread really, really quickly. And it, it's sad because those are not necessarily people that have access to treatment. Um, in the Philippines, Phil rabies is a problem in the Philippines. There's like, there's clinics that are set up for people who have been bitten by their dogs. And like you bring mo mostly, mostly we're talking about children. You bring their children to this clinic and they get vaccinated for rabies and treated for rabies because they've been bit by the family dog. But it's like, you know, the family dog is like, well, I mean, it was a dog that wandered onto their property and they keep it there because it eats rats and things that annoy them. And so, you know, that family dog is like the village's dogs. Um, and it's sad because they love these dogs, you know, and uh, I'm, this story about the oh God, Bali's sad story, you know, they, the people there, they love these dogs. And so when these um, organizations would come in to capture them and vaccinate the dogs or capture the rabid ones and put them down, people would be hiding these animals in their houses and in their closets of their houses because they didn't want the dogs to go away. Uh, so the best thing for that type of situation, of course, is to vaccinate the population. But as it turns out, even that can be hard because people have been traumatized by these major animal kill-offs that humans do when rabies comes around and scares the bejesus out of everybody. Um, speaking of history of rabies, we think it may be the origin of myths of zombies, um, the origin of myths of werewolves, which kind of makes sense, right? I mean, zombies like walk around and they're like drooling and all crazy looking. And then if you get bit by one, then you'd become a zombie, you know, drooling and stumbling around. And it kind of makes sense that that would be some viral origin of that. And then werewolves too, like a, a person who changes into, um, you know, like this wolf human hybrid, that too is something that is transmitted by bite, you know, like, or by attack of a werewolf on a regular person. And all of a sudden you become this werewolf, like madness and rage and all that. Um, so I think that totally makes sense that that would be where those, where those myths originated. Um, the phrase, the hair of the dog, like, you know, like the, the hair of the dog that bit you, like will, will cure you. That too um, is originating in rabies. Like it was, it used to be that they, they thought that by ingesting part of um, the dog that had bit you would prevent you from getting rabies or in those days, hydrophobia. Um, so there is, um, there is a little, I don't want to be too, too doom and gloom, but you know, we're not going to paint a pretty picture here of the rabies virus. It is some serious business, but there is a little bit of hope here. Um, one, the, the Milwaukee protocol, depending on who you talk to, that's hopeful or maybe not so hopeful. So that one, maybe not so much. Um, However, there is this tribe, I love this one, there is this tribe in South America. Um, it's like high up in, um, God, I think they're in the Andes, I think is where they are in Peru. And where they are, vampire bats are endemic to the area. Now what vampire bats do is they fly around and they bite cattle and then they make these wounds and then they lap the blood out of the wounds. And that's why they're called vampire bats. Something else that can happen is if you get one of those suckers in your house, into, into your living quarters, then those bats can gnaw on your toes or on your other appendages at night and create wounds and drink your blood. 
Now, if they do that, uh, now we talked a little bit about this, but bats are like a major reservoir of the rabies virus. And so those bats in South America, 100% are going to be carriers of rabies a lot of the time. Uh, so the, but these people, they don't get it. And it's like, why do they not get these? Why do they not? Why is this tribe even still alive? They should all be dead of rabies. They actually have naturally occurring rabies antibodies in their blood. And they think it's because it's like a low grade exposure over time. You know, since they were like babies in the babies in the crib, they got a little bat gnawing on their little toes, um, exposing them slowly to the rabies virus throughout their entire lives. And so they've built up their own immunity. So that's super exciting for the old rabies researchers because they're like, how do we harness this natural um immunity that these people have built up to the rabies virus. And there's, it, it, there's not been a lot of research done into that. And it's like, it's hard to do because, you know, anytime you introduce this virus into anything, it kills it. So it's, it's, a, it's a really tricky virus to work with without killing the thing that you're researching. And also for like humane reasons, like, you know, like doing any kind of rabies research is essentially creating a population of dead things. And so it can be really hard, um, ethically to create research situations that are not horrible um, and risky as all get out too. like, you know, like Louis Pasteur's like history. This is like, I mean, this is going to be another 40 minutes if we start into this, but the history of him inventing that vaccine is nuts. He's like mouth pipetting drool off of rabid dogs that are flailing with his researchers wearing welding gloves, holding them against the ground. I mean, that is an insanely risky situation for um for humans to put themselves in. So rabies research, not a whole lot of takers on that. Um, I will end by saying that uh, the CDC has a lot, uh, the Centers for Disease Control has a lot of really great information on this virus on their website. And if you just Google rabies, they're going to be the first thing that comes up. Um, that's where they're going to talk about your vaccination protocol. That's where they're going to talk about what is a rabies exposure and when to see treatment. Um, everything's going to say by default, go see treatment because rabies will kill you. Um, the CDC classifies exposure to rabies if you wake up with a bat in your house. Like seriously, if you're like taking a nap on the couch or you're like in bed and you wake up and you roll over and you see a bat in your room, that's a rabies exposure. Like that's how prevalent it is in that population. So you see a bat in your house, rabies exposure. Bam. Done. <laughs> so I highly encourage you to um, go to the CDC website. It's really cool. Um, there's a wonderful book as well that's called Rabid, A Cultural History of the World's Most Diabolical Virus. And that's where a lot of, uh, that's where I've got a lot of this information from, uh, is from that book. And it's written, it's written really, really well. Like, I feel like it's, it's really interesting. And, um, and I've lent it to, I might not even have it right now. I feel like I've lent it to lots and lots of people because it's so fascinating to, uh, to hear about the history of it and and uh, and how people have dealt with it throughout the ages, and just how it affects how it affects the the human race. Like the human race has been deeply affected by this virus all throughout history, and uh, and also has obviously deeply affected me because I've been able to talk about it for forty minutes and honestly could keep talking about it, but. 
Um, I will leave you all here. Thank you, as always, for for tuning in to Cat Disgusted. Like you do, um, I'm incredibly thankful for all of your uh, all of your support and uh, all of your lending of ears to these topics. Um, we'll do more zoonotic diseases because I think that they're really really cool, and, uh, and and we'll and we'll talk about we'll talk about them here. Um, I encourage you to go to the Facebook page. In fact, I'd really love to do. Um, I've been getting a lot of questions like related to animals and animal medicine uh, recently from various folks. And I think it would be really cool if you can go to the Facebook page. Maybe we can do a little Q&A um, on one of these episodes where I answer your questions about veterinary medicine um, and, and my job and, uh, and zoonotic diseases. I love to talk about diseases. I kind of collect them in a way. So um, any questions that you have about those. And uh, generally, I just like to hear from you guys. So thank you so much again for listening. Uh, We'll see you next time. Thank you to Melanie Boyle for contributing on the last episode. I'm sure that we'll do another collaboration very, very soon. Uh, Happy Easter, everybody. Uh, Hopefully we won't keep the Easter Bunny hospitalized for too long. Uh, And remember, don't come and see me at work. Bye.